God, you are holy, you are separate, you are other, you are transcendent, you are powerful, you are glorious, you are beyond. And we worship you and we thank you that we can be here in your house today. God, I thank you that though you were high and exalted and mighty and powerful at the same time, that you were right here with us. That your transcendence does not disclude your eminence. Thank you that you were here. God, I ask that you would speak to us today. God, I ask that you would speak a fresh word, a new word to our hearts and minds. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day I was sitting in my house on the couch watching TV and I heard a knock on the door. So it took me a while, but I got up to see who was at the door. And lo and behold, there was no one there. No one there. And it wasn't kids playing a prank because I looked down on the welcome mat there and there was a package from Amazon. Have you ever had that happen, an Amazon or a FedEx package? You hear a doorbell ring, you get there, and no one's there, but there is a package right there. So I, I took the package inside and put it on the counter and proceeded to open it. And when I opened it up, I noticed it was a belated birthday gift from my daughter who lives out in California. She's in college. And so I opened this brand new gift, and when I got into it, I discovered that it was four different packages of coffee from different parts of the world. I thought, that is fantastic. What a thoughtful gift by my daughter. I love coffee. And, uh, you know, there's something about smelling, you know, fresh coffee. It's just, it's just amazing. But I really appreciated this, this new gift. And, and I thought about this, that and because I think that a lot of us, if not all of us, love getting new things, right? So it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be five years old, 15, 55, 85, 95. We like receiving new gifts, right? You know, guys love new gear to get a new fishing pole, to get a new golf club or to play on a new course you've never played on before, to get a new outfit or to get a new pair of shoes. We like new things. To get a new car and to open the doors of that car and to sit down in that leather and to smell ah, that new car smell, right? We like things that are new. But perhaps the greatest thing that we can experience in this life that is new is the birth of a newborn baby, right? So newborn baby, the, the smell of a newborn baby and the hope that a newborn gives. So a few weeks ago, my niece who lives in Oklahoma had her second child right there, cute being, right? Jackson. So that is my dad's third, check this out, great grandchild, Jackson. Yeah, give Jackson a hand. You know, here's the deal. A lot of babies, unless they're C-section, don't 
turn out, you know, all fresh and clean like Jackson did. So Jackson did a yeoman's job of getting ready to come into this world. But there's something about a newborn and the hope and the dreams and the aspirations that we have, no matter the situation. So as we embark today on a brand new series, it's my desire, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that God is going to birth something new in your heart and in your minds. So my, my challenge to you, my, my prayer to you would be to be open for God to do something new in your life. Be open to, for God to do something new and fresh in your life. However, to do that, many times we have to let go of old patterns, old ways of thinking, old ways of interacting with other people, old ways of processing. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at one of the most dynamic, practical, encouraging passages in all the Bible for the next several weeks in our brand new series called All Things New. The passage, the chapter, is Philippians chapter number four. So if you have a Bible right there, open it up to Philippians chapter four. It's near the back of the New Testament. Philippians four, verses one through five. Again, Philippians is maybe the most encouraging letter in the entire Bible. Uh, Philippians 4 may be the most encouraging chapter in the entire Bible. It is filled with a lot of iconic phrases like rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a passage that talks about don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. It's the same chapter that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It also said God helps those who help themselves. All those iconic the last one's not in the Bible. All those phrases come in one chapter, Philippians chapter 4. So let's dive into this book. Philippians 4, written, of course, by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says. He says, Though then, my brothers and sisters, my dear friends, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. So he's referring back to the, to the first three chapters of this letter. This is how you do it. This is how you stand in the Lord. Now he deals with something that we all have to deal with. Look at verse 2. He says, I appeal to Yodia and to Syntyche. These are two ladies in the church to agree in the Lord. Yes, I say also to you, true companion, help them. Now, the true companion he's referring to could be Epaphroditus. Uh, who's carrying this letter, we don't know exactly, but he's saying, hey, true companion, perhaps Epaphroditus, help these two folks out that are in a conflict. They've struggled together in the gospel ministry alongside with me and Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Here we go, verse 4, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, always, always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. So the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And Paul is wanting to create a new joy 
in these new believers in Christ. He's writing this letter at around 60, 61 AD. He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing to the very first European church that's in Philippi, that's northern Greece. It was named after uh, the father of Alexander the Great, a very influential city there in the Roman Empire. And he's writing to these folks, and he wants them to experience God and his joy. But to do that, right off the bat, he talks about conflict. Conflict. Discord. You have two believers, two people who have been with him, who have been a part of the mission, who have helped him plant this church in Philippi, who are somehow, for some unknown reason, having a conflict, having a disagreement. Conflict is a part of life, isn't it? Disagreements arise at work, family, marriage, friendships. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're a Christ follower or not, or somewhere in between, you will have conflict. Conflict is a big part of life. But have you noticed that when you're engaged in a conflict with someone and you are not dealing with it, it begins to affect you more than it does the other person. It starts rolling around inside of you. Maybe you're first angry at the person, then the anger can fester into bitterness, then that can grow into resentment. And then you get into a Hatfield and McCoy situation and you're holding on to a grudge. And you think, if I just hold on to this grudge, if I just take this righteous position in this conflict, then somehow that's going to make things better. I'm going to feel better. I don't need to work it out. And it begins to eat at you after a while, though. Someone once said this, they said, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's crazy. And yeah, we do it. When this letter was delivered millennia ago, these two believers, Euodia and Syntyche, were in a conflict. They were holding a grudge. They were letting resentment win. Is that where you are today? Are you nursing a grudge? Are you holding on to a grudge? Are you allowing anger to grow in your heart? Are you letting resentment have its way in your life. There's a place for anger. There's time to be mad. There's time to feel like you have been treated unfairly or unjustly, but if you hang on to that too long, let it fester and let it grow, it'll block your relationship with others and block and stymie your relationship with God. 
So in this very encouraging and uplifting letter, the first thing that Paul deals with is that area of conflict. He's urging these folks, reconcile, deal with that anger, deal with that grudge. If you're going to receive something new from God today and the following weeks ahead as we look at this series, then you have to let go of something that's old in order to receive what is new. And though we like new things, sometimes we're engaged in new things, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of responding, it can be difficult. It feels kind of weird and we feel imbalanced. But we have to let go of the old, an old way of thinking, an old way of dealing with our emotions, an old way of dealing with others to embrace the new. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, it's interesting. When you look at the Bible, you look at the words of Jesus Christ, you look at the words of Paul, they never use the word Christian. Jesus Christ nor Paul never used the word Christian. Paul instead uses a, another way to describe the reality of our existence once we have stepped across the line to trust in Christ. The phrase he uses, we see in this passage, we also find around 164 times in his letter are the three words, in the Lord. In the Lord. Or like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. In Christ. In Him. In the Lord. This is what Paul uses to describe our new status our new organic, if you would, relationship with God that Christ has paved the way for us. So the key, or at least one of the keys, if you would, to living out something new that God has for you, something new that God has for us, a new way of dealing with conflict, a new way of finding reconciliation, a new way of dealing with emotions that are contrary to ones that God wants us to have and live in, is to understand what it means to be in the Lord, to be in Christ. So we can see several, I think, realities, if you would. And it's interesting, we saw someone who was baptized today, during earlier in the worship service. And over the years, we have baptized hundreds of thousands of people. And when we baptize someone, the person doing the baptizing always says this, always says this. If you were up in the baptismal pool or if you were outside in the baptismal font outside, you would hear the pastor say this if you could lean in close enough. They say, buried with Christ unto death, as they dunk them underwater, 
and then rise as they come up out of the water to walk in newness of life. My old life, my old ways, my old attitudes, my old grudges, my old resentments, my old sin and shame and dirt and all of that junk is buried with Christ. And now that I'm united with Christ, I'm in the Lord, I have newness of life. I have a relationship with God. And these three new realities are ushered into our life. Now, there are more than three, but we'll just look at three. And, of course, most Baptist pastors only have three things to say anyway. So that's what we'll do here today. So the first uh, reality that ushers in is that we have a new identity. A new identity, okay? So I'm no longer in Ben, in Ben Young. I'm not just a person, a human being, a sinner, if you would, who's alone in the universe, who has no sense of purpose, no sense of identity, who's alienated from God, alienated from others, doesn't know the meaning, doesn't know up, down, from sideways, it's jacked up from the ground up. I'm not just that person anymore. I'm not just in Ben. Now I've made the transition. I'm a Christian, a Christ follower. I'm in Christ. I'm in the Lord. I have a new identity. I am a son of God. I am accepted by God. I am an ambassador for God. I am his child. I am beloved. I am accepted. Why? Because I'm some special person? No. Because I am religious? No. Because my parents were Christians and my grandparents are Christians? No, no, no. But because I have received this great gift of life, this new identity, this new relationship that Christ has earned for me. I have a new identity, a new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm accepted. I am righteous, not because I'm the righteous in myself, but because of my connection to Christ. New identity as an individual. A new sense of purpose, a new goal in life, a new sense of meaning. That's what Paul could say earlier in Philippians 1. What? For me to live is Christ. For me to live in this life is to live for Christ. Now listen, Paul was not a preacher. He was in the business world. He was never in, quote, full-time Christian ministry. Though he did write the Bible and plant churches on the side. No pressure. No pressure. But he wasn't. He was always in a full-time job. He had full-time work, not working at a church. But, but so he said, in everything that I do, my life here, if I live on this earth, is to live for Christ. I'm going to do my business as if I'm doing my business for Christ. And if I die, bonus. Bonus. I have a new identity. That's what he's saying here. A second reality that ushers in is a more of a corporate communal reality of being in the Lord. And that is we have a new unity. If we look at his other letters in Ephesians and Galatians, he's saying we have a new unity. These barriers used to separate us from others, whether that was a 
racial barrier or a gender barrier or a societal barrier, all those barriers have been erased. We are now this new humanity. We are now one in Christ. Our identity, our unity is found by being in the Lord, by being in Christ. Though we may be different in many ways, we're one in Christ. Our unity is in Him. So we have new identity personally. We have new unity communally within the body of Christ. And the third thing we have is new hope. New hope. Hope. Hope is about the future. Hope is about what happens tomorrow. Hope is about what happens next year. Hope is about what's going to happen 10,000 and 10 million years from now. And that is that God has control of my future. Because I am in the Lord, I am in Christ, I can rejoice. What does he tell us throughout this passage? Stand firm in the Lord. Handle this conflict. Agree in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say always rejoice in the Lord. Christ is coming back soon. So the great news, if you have stepped over that line to trust in Christ, then you are in Christ, you're in the Lord. That is a permanent way of existing. Now, 10 years from now, Hundred years from now, 10,000 years from now, 10 billion years from now, you are still going to be in the Lord in Christ. It's an entirely new way of existing in this life and in the life ahead. We are forever connected and united to him. And that's good news. It's good news. When you think about this, Paul is writing this letter that the theme of the letter is joy. Joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How is he doing that? Think about his context. The guy who's writing this. Context is king. Paul is writing in prison. He's probably chained to a Roman prisoner who's dressed there in full armor. How is he writing about joy? How is he writing about peace? How is he doing that? It's because of this relationship. Paul doesn't see himself as being in prison. He sees himself as being in the Lord. So no matter what circumstances you're in or I'm in right now, we can't see ourselves as just being in those circumstances. First and foremost, we are in the Lord. We are in Christ. We have this new identity, this new unity, and this new hope. But it just takes time. Doesn't it? It takes time for us to breathe that in, for us to live out that new reality, for us to let go of the old. 
And of course, we always have, you know, that shadow side of ourselves telling us, you're not really a child of God. You're not really in Christ. So you have that voice inside of you that accuses you. Then you, we know that the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, constantly trying to condemn you and your thoughts and your minds. We just have to remind ourselves, it's not about me. It's not about me. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've screwed up, messed up. I know that I'm guilty and shameful. But hey, I know what Christ has done for me. I know the cross is real. I know the resurrection is real. I know that he has given me a new power to live a new way in my life. God's not called you and called me to be perfect, but to be faithful to him. And so we just quell and we just silence those condemning voices and renew our minds and renew our hearts on who he has made us to be and start living out from this deep sense of our new identity in him, of being in the Lord, in Christ. When we do that, God will begin to do something new in your heart and in my heart.